0: Baseball Tonight, the podcast.
1: This is the Baseball Tonight Podcast for Monday, March 20th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwing, Bruce Baldwin are all back in Bristol and Buster only. I'm in Montana. But today, all eyes will be on Miami, where the second semifinal of the WBC will be played. Roki Sasaki will pitch for Japan against Mexico. Jeff Passon talked last week on the podcast about his dominance as a great piece on ESPN.com today. Uh, and the winner of that game will face the team from the U.S., which blew out Cuba last night with help from Trey Turner.
0: And he swings and unloads to left field, back to the same spot, he hit the grand slam, gone!
1: The final score on Sunday was 14-2, to and that game was made possible for the U.S. by what happened on Saturday night when the United States played Venezuela in a wild and crazy game of lead changes. The U.S. trailed when Turner came to the plate with the bases loaded. Here's the 0-2. swinging a fly ball. Yeah, so the U.S. won that game nine to seven, and Taylor, Sarah, that was so much fun to see the emotion in the U.S. players. A lot of times in the WBC through the years, we've seen it with players from Puerto Rico. We've seen it with players in the
0: DR. Uh, to see it from the U.S. players is pretty cool. What'd you think? Oh my God! It, it, absolutely incredible. I mean, what a spot. What an atmosphere. And these guys love playing playing with each other. I think Nolan Arenado said that he loves playing with Trey Turner. I mean, that's it's cool to see these guys, you know, slap together even for just a couple games and, and really enjoying it. And I, I think we've hit like a turning point with the WBC. Like everyone is enthralled, including this podcast. Yeah, Sarah?
2: Yeah, it's been so much fun to watch. And you know USA baby, all day every day, patriot. Let's go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm really fascinated by Trey Turner now going into this year, joining the Phillies, being part of this incredible lineup. You know, I had my idea about who would be the National League MVP pick, but now I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering Trey Turner with four home runs in the WBC. Hot ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets vivid seats life happens live and look the wbc has been a ton of fun but obviously after what happened to edwin diaz last week and after what happened with jose altuve over the weekend there's also a separate conversation about how teams feel about this here's jose altuve facing daniel bard on saturday night
3: The one two altuve hits the dirt
1: after he was hit by the pitch Venezuela has loaded the
0: bases. Not what you want to see. Just not knowing where the ball's going right now for Daniel Bard. And they're checking to see if the reliever is going to be ready.
1: Altuve heads into the dugout. Yeah, Altuve told reporters on Sunday that he knew right away that uh, he had suffered a broken thumb. Uh, He's going to have surgery later this week after his swelling goes down. But it looks like he's going to be out about 8 to 10 weeks. Uh, since the last podcast, Buck Showalter spoke with reporters about the Diaz injury, which completely changes his bullpen.
4: Would you prefer to have one guy, or, or could you go committee? We'll shake that out as we go. Okay, and we've got some good options, and uh, um, you know, we'll let the game kind of dictate, to, and you know, what the rest of the spring has in store for us, get a better grip with it. But uh, like I said, most of our Right now with Edwin. I know it's been tough on him and his family. You know, Evan is very, he's very excited about being with
1: us this year. He'll, he'll be around. As we've talked about every day, as the WBC is going on, you've got the regular exhibition games progressing, and Jacob DeGrom made his first spring appearance for the Rangers, and man, he looked great.
0: One, two. swinging and a miss. He gets Raleigh on a curveball. One, two. Swinging and a miss, fastball at
1: 99, thrown right by him. And in DeGrom's first inning as a Ranger in Cactus League play, he collects a couple of strikeouts, puts up a zero. Robbie Ray of the Mariners also had an excellent day facing the Chicago White Sox.
0: Cut on a miss, dropping down to a knee on a vicious slider. Right through 95-mile-an-hour heat. Robbie Ray struck
1: out nine members of the Chicago White Sox lineup over four scoreless innings. Now, in addition to that injury to Edwin Diaz, the Mets had a scare over the weekend with Brandon Nimmo, their center fielder, kind of went to the ground awkwardly. He has a right knee injury. He talked with the reporters about that. Well, that's good, yeah, just... Like we said yesterday, got low sprain, uh, ankle and knee, which is honestly best-case scenario um, with what happened. So, um, you know, pretty glad about that. And then, you know, right now we're just taking it day by day. Um, I feel a lot better today than I did yesterday. And um, once we get all that inflammation out of there, I feel a lot better with it. So, um, you know, I'm not ruling anything out right now. Taylor, doesn't it feel like that with Brandon Nemo, uh, I mean, his, like, the building could be blown up, and he would tell you how great everything <laughs> is. It's one of the great things about him. I believe him about the injury. I don't, I don't think he would uh, deceive reporters about that. But that's, it
0: feels like his smile, that's that's part of his personality. I feel like, and Buck isn't quite like this, but I, I was watching no. Buck talk about it eat too, and so his reassurance that like, ah, eh, whatever, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I, if you're a Mets fan, I'd feel okay. But we talk about that Brandon Nemo thing all the time. He's, <laughs> he's an interesting cat. I mean, it's gotta be good for the locker room, that calming presence. Yeah. He's the happiest guy in the world. And by the way, he and I have a lot in common now cause he
1: grew up in Wyoming and I got to tell him in the fall that I drove through, uh, you know, drove through his home state to come here to Montana. So I, I always look forward to talking with him. What else you got?
0: Buster, we just wrapped up recording an episode of the College Game Day podcast with Reese Davis and America's coach, Seth Greenberg, uh, fairly Dickinson guy. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Pete Thamel, unfortunately, on business. And so I'm going to put that podcast out after we're done with this show. We're going to do another show preview in the Sweet 16 this week, and I have to shout out Sarah Abbott for absolutely killing it this weekend. She did two late night podcasts with the guys, uh, her and Bruce Baldwin, uh, quality content, much needed. And uh, so applause for Sarah here. I'm just offering that. Oh, up. I, I, th- go I
1: thought that was going to be all about brackets. Cause I got to tell you, like I'm involved in this bracket that started by my son, Sarah, mm-hmm. his percentage, okay. Where he ranks at ESPN is 99.7%. All eight of his final eight teams are still in the, still alive.
2: What? So I I cut him
1: off. Like, I'm just telling you, you can pay for the rest of your college. (laughs) The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off... Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today. Code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Zero, zero, nine, six. This is
1: The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, you're down in Miami. How you doing?
4: I'm doing great, and I'm thrilled for Sarah and Taylor because you can hear me right now. I'm not in the noisy ballpark. I missed the, uh, how many straight? Five straight? Uh, I believe it was five straight day night double headers that I covered, but you know, one game a day also has its perks. So great to be speaking to you from somewhere a little quieter.
1: Yeah, but Sarah, we could always hear you. Like we tried to assure you all the time, like your, your audio was good. You're holding the microphone near your mouth. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, and and you could just see the joy in your face, by the way. (laughs) about the wbc tell me about your experience when turner hit that grand slam the other night what was it like
4: oh my gosh i mean ear-splittingly loud i mean The most amazing thing has been just the level, decibel level of all of the cheers from every country, all of the fans. But I think back to being in the World Series in Philadelphia uh, this past November, October and November. And those games were some of the loudest I'd ever been to. Then you add in cowbells and trumpets and noisemakers and all of these things that we have in the stands of the WBC. And it was one of those kinds of moments. And I will say as a researcher, I'm always thinking ahead, I have the list of Grand Slam's ready, and you just kind of get that feeling, that moment as he said absolutely. So I did have the list ready to go. I knew what the note was. So not saying I called it, not taking that credit. That's just planning ahead. But it was quite the moment. And, I mean, that was an amazing back-and-forth game.
1: Yeah, it really was. It was so much fun, uh, you know, seeing Sasaki pitch tonight. That's going to be so much fun. Uh, the idea that potentially you'd have Japan against the United States in the championship game, That that'll be really cool. Let's play the numbers game. Number three.
4: Number three is four. So speaking of Trey Turner, I thought it was all out of Trey Turner notes after he hit that grand slam. And then he comes back the next day, still the number nine hitter because that's how good that U.S. lineup is, he two home runs. So he now has four overall in the tournament, which are the most by any Team USA player in a single WBC, and tied for the second most overall by anyone in a single WBC, behind only 2006 sung Yo Lee of Korea, who had five. So... We know now Trey Turner gets one more game. We'll see if he's able to add to that or maybe even break it. Who knows? He also has 10 RBIs, which are tied with 2013 David Wright and 2006 Ken Griffey Jr. for the most by anyone on Team USA in a single WBC, tied with them and others for third most overall. But very important to know. The record there is 12. In 2017 by Vladimir Ballantan of the Netherlands, he had 12. There's also a player in 2009 who had 11. But this is important not just for Trey Turner, but also for Masataka Yoshida, who enters tonight's game, also with 10.
0: Number 2.
4: Number 2 is 112. So, This kind of got buried last night because of the game that Trey Turner had. But Paul Goldschmidt in the first inning hit a 112-mile-an-hour home run. I watched every game he played last year. One MVP, great player. Hitting the ball hard is not really his thing. He's obviously an outstanding hitter. But I see that 112 on baseball smart, and I was like, Wonder if there's anything there. So last year, en route to winning again the National League MVP award, you only have one bad ball hit harder than that. The entire season, it was 112.3. A single on May 13th, and only three of his major league home runs, tracked by StatCast back to 2015, have been hit harder than 112. So, again, outstanding player hitting the ball hard, not his thing, but he did it last night.
0: Number one.
4: Number one is we'll go with 56. So I want to talk about Roki Sasaki, who you mentioned earlier. He's 21 years old. Hopefully you've heard of him by now. I know David Cohn picked him as his, uh, uh, what was it, best thing I saw this week uh, at some point during Sunday baseball last year. He threw a perfect game and then followed up that perfect game with another eight-inning perfect outing where he got removed due to a pitch count. He was 20 then, now he's 21, and he is a joy to watch. I'm so excited for MLB fans to get to see him pitch. So that 56 was the whiff rate that he got against the Czech Republic when he lost pitch in this tournament. 39 swings, 22 of those were missed. Wow. Only one pitcher, so it's 56.4 if we're being specific. Only one pitcher has induced a whiff rate that high, getting at least 35 swings in an MLB game since the start of 2020. And, of course, it was Jacob Degrom. In August of last year, a 59.5. And the other thing that is very, of course, Jacob deGrom, with him. He threw 21 pitches at at least 100 miles an hour in that game. He averaged 100.1 on his finger. So here's the full list of starting pitchers. With at least 2,100 mile an hour pitches in the MLB game since wave tracking, which goes back to 2008. Hunter Green, seven times, of course. Jacob Durong, twice. Noah Syndergaard, twice. And then Nathan Nivaldi, Jordan Hicks, and James Paxson. So get ready for swings and misses and amazing velocity.
1: All right, so I'm going to give you the power. Uh, You know, as you know, a lot of coming out that everyone, I think WBC has been very popular, and there's also conversation about these injuries, which are going to have impact on on two major contenders. Jose Altuve out of the lineup. And so I'm going to give you the power to overrule two, you know, Hall of Famers, Dusty Baker, Buck Showalter. And uh, so I'm going to ask you how you would arrange the Astros lineup. I think it's pretty easy for Dusty. It's an easy solution. I think you put Jeremy Payne in the leadoff spot. Then you go Michael Brantley. Then you go Bregman, Alvarez, uh, Abreu, and then Tucker for the first six. You co-sign on that?
4: Absolutely. I was going to say Payne leadoff. You know, he had a good rookie season, but we saw the star he can be in October and into November. I'm expecting a huge year from him, and I think getting that experience will be really, really good. I think that, I mean, even without Altuve, that is a really deep lineup, and I mean, Dusty Baker cannot mess that up, as you said, Hall of Famer, and really, really good players, top to bottom.
1: Plus, you shared the dais with Jeremy Payne at the Baseball Writers' Dinner. You know, so he's your good friend. Uh, and then Buck Walter he of course, you, there's no way you can replace Edwin Diaz uh, and, and how dominant he was. How would you handle the closer uh, based on the players they have now? And let's—I mean, let's face it—Billy Epler will be looking for relief pitchers all year.
4: Yeah, I mean, it seems like right now the best uh, case scenario for them. It's to go with Adam Adivino to start. He has that experience. He can certainly be that guy. Uh, they've had other injuries lately. I mean, I think if it was two weeks ago, you might have said, hey, brace Montes de Oca, who throws really hard maybe he could be a guy who could work because he has that arsenal, that repertoire. Of course, he had a stress reaction in his elbow, which came out just a couple of days before the Diaz injury. But as you said, it's very hard to look at that bullpen and not think there will be some move at some point if they need it, not just because of the Diaz injury, but also Brooks really. And as I said, Montez I think there are a lot of people who there's a very vocal Twitter fan base for Tyler McGill. And I think a lot of them, uh, not that that is an official anything, but there are a lot of people would like to see what he could do in that kind of closer role with his repertoire. So that could be an option as well, but for now I think you go without a mother. you now.
1: Sarah, always great to talk with you. Thanks for doing this.
4: Thanks so much for having me, Buster.
1: San Diego Padres. The Padres reached the National League Championship Series last season and along the way they knocked out the Mets and then the Dodgers. And after a winter of big spending, The expectations for 2023 are even higher. San Diego has not won the National League West since 2006. Newcomers. San Diego chased Trey Turner and Aaron Judge without success and then turned to Xander Bogarts, landing the longtime Boston player with an offer that exceeded the Red Sox proposal by 75 percent, a total of $280 million. He'll apparently bat cleanup behind Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Manny Machado. The Padres also signed Matt Carpenter, who had a resurgence with the Yankees last year, and Nelson Cruz, hoping they can squeeze a little bit more production out of the 42-year-old, who had a 3.37 slug percentage last year san diego added seth lugo and michael waka to its pitching staff did we mention the padres spend big san diego's payroll is expected to be the third highest in the national league behind that of the mets and phillies in their financial commitments after the 2024 season after 2024 are 1.01 billion gone but not forgotten Jerickson Profar, a good player for the Padres, moved on via free agency, signing with the Rockies over the weekend for $7.5 million. Sean and Mike Clevenger, Will Myers also moved on via free agency. The X Factor. By the time Fernando Tatis Jr. finishes his PED suspension and returns to the San Diego lineup on April 20th, presumably, he will be 564 days since his last appearance in the big leagues. The Padres are preparing to play him in the outfield, and given that Tatis Jr. is an insanely superlative athlete and just 24 years old, there's every reason to believe he'll go back to being a dynamic performer, but he may need some time for that full rebound. Fault lines. Hugh Darvish is coming off of one of his best seasons. Joe Musgrove showed in the postseason how dominant he can be. On Blake Snell's best days, he can control any lineup because of his raw stuff. But the Padres have scrambled to fill the back of the rotation, and if San Diego's hit with injuries, there's not much organizational depth in this area. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Hembo has the Padres at 92 wins, Sarah Lanx is 95, Dakota 93.2. I've got him at 95 and winning the World Series. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxydectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy Time. Baseball is the greatest game with Tim Kirkchen.
3: It never disappoints you.
1: On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkchen covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, since you and I last talked, uh, the Mets lost the best reliever in baseball, Edwin Diaz, uh, for the season. And, you know, we we both know Buck Walter. We both know that he'll adjust. Uh, if you're going to have a problem, area, as we talked about in the podcast the other day, it's best to have it at bullpen because you can fix it midstream. The best example of that being the 2000 Washington Nationals. But I also feel like like there's no way around it. This
3: is devastating for the Mets. Yeah. Now, look, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I still think they're really good. But you're right, Buster. He was the best closer in baseball last year. He was arguably the most dominant pitcher in baseball last year. He had 18 walks and 118 strikeouts. It's impossible almost for a closer to have 100 more strikeouts then walks in a season and he personified everything that is great about the game with the trumpets and everything else. uh, The passion that he shows that his teammates show around him, this is a terrible loss, but there's no buts I thought they might be the best team in the national league, maybe even the best team in baseball. And now I don't think that anymore more. That's how good that guy is. However, Buck will find a way. People will step in, and they'll find a way to make the playoffs. I'm certain of that.
1: What's your guess as to what's what they're going to do? Because my guess is you get David Robertson, who's so good against left-handed hitters, and you have Adam Ottavino, so so good against right-handed hitters. I could see Buck going into you know day by day as he enters the sixth inning, saying, "You know what? Uh, we have got that string of right-handed hitters. Looks like it's coming up in the ninth. So I'm going to save it for Ottavino one day." The next day maybe saves it for david robertson what's your guess about how he's going to handle that
3: yeah i think they're going to do it mostly from within Uh, buck is a great mix and match guy and let's face it buster this is the way the game is trending now you don't need an everyday closer although it's great to have one as dominant as edwin diaz but teams are now mixing and matching the dodgers are going to do it phillies can do it a lot of Really good teams don't have that one guy at the end of the game now, and they're looking at, well, you know, we're going to let Clay Holmes pitch the eighth inning if those three big right-handed hitters from the Blue Jays are coming up. So that's what the Mets are going to do. Ottavino one day um, and others others other days. Maybe they'll sign Zach Britton and get him ready, and, and he'll help out at some point this year. All sorts of options for the Mets, but it's a tremendous loss given how great that guy was last year
1: and given the context that they got to play their season within which is in the national league east uh the nationals will be a little bit better than they were last year. We'll start at the bottom of the division. Nationals are going to be a little bit better than they were last year. The Marlins are not going to make the playoffs. Let's face it, but that pitching staff Tim is unbelievable. And so in a given series, you know if you told me that the Marlins went into New York or Atlanta or Philadelphia and swept, that wouldn't be a shock. Like that's a good team. Uh, and then you've got the Atlanta Braves, you know, World Series champions from 2021 last year and division winners ran down the Mets overcame a 10 and a half game deficit. And Tim, I walked away from the time I was down in Florida saying the team that I absolutely underrated the most with the Phillies. Like I, I just looked around and, and then you see what Trey Turner's doing in the WBC and you know, that collection of players, that they'll have, uh, you know, especially when we get to midseason, when Bryce Harper comes back, and I talked to him yesterday, Bryce, and he told me how, you know, how well he's doing. That team, by the time we get to the end of the year, like uh, last season, could be really dangerous. And that's, you know, let's say the the Mets lose an extra three games in the standings because they're in the same division as the Braves
3: and the Phillies. That could be difference-making. Absolutely. And look, I've been wrong so many times on preseason predictions, but I never underestimated the Phillies, especially since I spent so much time around them in the playoffs last year. The The vibe in the room was unlike anything I've felt in a long time, not just in Philadelphia, but anywhere. That's how good it is inside that clubhouse away with with born leaders like Kyle Schwarber and the rest. They're going to get Harper back at the all-star break. The Andrew Painter injury did not help things, that's for sure. But they are still loaded. They they uploaded that bullpen in the, in the offseason. Rob Thompson's got a great handle on that team. The players love him. Look, I'm pretty sure the Braves, Mets, and Phillies are all going to make the playoffs. So yeah. It's impossible to make that prediction here in March, but I feel very strongly that all three of those teams are going to be playing in October. So tell me what you've loved about the WBC this year. Well, I'm sorry, Buster, but I've loved all of it. Look, I understand how many... Bad things have happened, Edwin Diaz, Jose Altuve. But aren't we here, Buster, to show a little passion, to show a little energy, and to really care about something? These players really care about playing in the WBC. And anyone who tells you they don't care hasn't been watching or hasn't been to any games. Well, I went to three games, Buster. It is a completely different atmosphere than you see at some big league ballparks. I saw the USA play Great Britain. They, they expected fifteen thousand people to show up. Thirty-nine thousand people came to that game in in Phoenix. I walked through the streets right near Chase Field, and it was like Mardi Gras there when Mexico and Colombia had just finished their game. The the passion, the energy was fantastic. So look there's no good time to play the WBC. Okay. But this is the only time that you can do this. You can't do it after the season. You can't do it at the all-star break. This is it. We have to deal with this and problems will come out of it. But if you haven't enjoyed watching these games, then you simply don't care about baseball as much as you should. Cause I have been enthralled by it. I can't wait for tonight.
1: Rokie Sasaki, uh, you know, 21 years old, one of the best starting pitchers in, in the world. He's going to be so much fun. And, Tim, here's my fun fact for you. Uh, the manager of the WBC team for Mexico, Benji Gill, uh, I covered him as a high school player <laughs> at Castle Park High School right. in San Diego. You remember Jose Silva, who was a high draft pick for the Pittsburgh Pirates? I right. covered a game that the two of them pitched against each other. And so I'm watching Benji, and who's a great
3: baseball mind, and right. seeing what here's doing, Team Mexico, I'm fired up for this tonight. Yeah, tonight's going to be great. And I don't care who wins; I'm not rooting for anything. But imagine if Japan wins tonight, and tomorrow night they play the United States. I mean, come on, please let let's understand how great a moment that will be. Because just look at Mike Trout play these games. Just look at the the look on his face when they win a game. And I. I know that Mike Trout texted someone on the first day of spring training and said, this feels like the first day of school. That's how excited he was, not just about the Angels and where they might be going, but he also knew he's playing center field for the USA, and that really mattered to him.
1: Yeah, so I've tried to, and I talked to Jeff about this the other day, I tried to give this, this is right in the aftermath of the Diaz injury. I think this is a case where you can understand all perspectives. You know, this sort of reflexive, I was shocked at sort of the wave. when initially the people are saying the WBC is stupid. You have to stop it. I'm like, no, I don't agree with that at all. And I also don't agree with the people who are like, get over it. It's not a big deal. If players get hurt, players get hurt all the time. Cause I don't think that's respectful. The team's perspective in this Tim, where they have with each of the 30 major league teams who contribute to this, they have jobs on the line. This is a big deal. And I've been trying to figure out a, A way to describe the perspective of, uh, you know, a general manager, a manager of one of these major league teams who, you know, has it sees a player go down like at Edwin Diaz. And I, you know, one of the ways I thought about is imagine, you know, if you had a car you really liked and your neighbor's like, can I borrow your car? And you're like, "Okay," And he wrecked the car. (laughs) It doesn't mean that the neighbor did anything wrong, and it doesn't mean he, he – he. but you can understand the angst of the owner. You can under, understand the angst of the general manager, the manager. Like, great, the car was wrecked. Uh, you know, the player was injured when I wasn't in control, and that hurts. Like, it hurts these, uh, you know, teams. And, and that's why uh, While the WBC will absolutely go on, and you love the enthusiasm about it. You also, I think, got a feel for the teams in this case.
3: Yeah, completely different subject, Buster, but I loaned my leather basketball in college to a guy on the other side of the dorm because he wanted to go play. As we know, a leather basketball is the greatest feel in the world if you love the game. So he takes my leather basketball and takes it outside and plays on the outdoor court with my leather basketball, which at the time was pretty darned expensive for a college student. And he just had no idea that you cannot use this ball outside. Now that's the most ridiculous analogy ever. I understand, but it's your car analogy. It's the same idea. If I'm a Mets fan, I am crushed, I am furious. That $100 million that they gave to Edwin Diaz was supposed to be for us to win with the Mets. If I'm a member of the Mets, I am devastated that our leader in the bullpen is not gonna be running out to those trumpets this year. So there is another side to all of these, but you can say, I hate what happened to Edwin Diaz. We have to cancel the WBC. That That's not the way to go. I'm sorry. I just am not going in that direction.
1: Yeah. And you're also, at the same time, uh, you're you're feeling for, you know, Dusty Baker and the Astros because Jose Altuve is going to be out. You're feeling for Buck Showalter. So there can be, you know, you can have both perspectives. So did you beat up the kid who took your now, basketball out onto the, onto the concrete? First
3: off, I can't beat up anyone. That's a fact. And he was much bigger than me, and I just tried to politely explain to him, you can't take this ball outside and play. with. It. It's ruined, of course. You can you, you can now play with it outside because you ruined it. But, no, I didn't yell at him because he didn't know. I guess I should have told him.
1: And, boy, that's still sticking with you more than 40 yes, years later, that, one of your favorite yeah, that was, basketball. <laughs> that was
3: 47 years ago. Pathetic. Right. So
1: Jose Altuve, I think, is a uh, is going to turn out to be, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's certainly on that trajectory. And yet if one team can weather a a significant injury to a superstar player early in the year, it's the Astros with Jose Altuve. I was thinking about what Dusty, how Dusty Baker might line up his, you know, his batting order without Altuve. And I'm like, it's easy. You're going to go Pena leading off, which he did yesterday in the Astros exhibition. You go Brantley. You go Bregman, you go Jordan Alvarez, you got Jose Abreu, you got Kyle Tucker. That, that's a great team, Tim.
3: Yeah, look, Altuve is going to the Hall of Fame, and he's a great player. And I think he will be missed a little more than you think he will be, but that lineup's great, Buster. And let's not forget, if Alvarez is healthy and Brantley's completely healthy and they're ready, that offense is going to be significantly better than it was at the end of last year when they won the World Series. They won the World Series with their starting pitching, but even more important, with their bullpen. And now they're going to have a tremendous... Offensive team when Altuve gets back, but before he gets back, they're going to have a way above average offensive team with the people they added and the return to health of Brantley and Alvarez. And if they, those guys get healthy, I want no part of trying to pitch to that lineup. Yeah, you just got back from
1: Arizona where you saw the Dodgers and the Phillies. We're going to be talking all year, as we talked about so far early in spring training, about who's going to win that division. I'm picking the Padres to beat the Dodgers, who won 111 games, as I've been reminded, not 107. Uh,
3: Tell me about your perspective on the Dodgers and Padres after seeing them. Well, this is the first time in 10 years, Buster, that I walked to the Dodger clubhouse and I said, Wow. There are some issues in here because yeah. they're at when I walked in, they're platooning in left field. They're platooning in center field. They weren't sure about a few things in the infield and their starting rotation looked a little thin. And I wasn't positive who their closer was when I left. Those are all significant issues for the Dodgers. And I was just not ready to see how thin that team is right now. Now. They're going to win. They're going to go to the playoffs. I'll bet my house on that. And they can win the division again. You don't win 111 games and then suddenly drop to 84 wins. That's not happening. But I think... Padres are better than they are right now. I looked at that Padre lineup. I looked at Joe Musgrove. If he comes back and he's healthy, their starting pitching is really good. Their bullpen is really good. And Bob Melvin's got a complete control over that team. The key, of course, is going to be what does Fernando Tatis do when he comes back? How is he going to adjust to playing right field? Where is his head going to be after all of this? If he's 100% ready to go offensively and can find a way to play right field, look at the first five in that order and tell me how you stop that. That's how good the Padres could be. So what I'm hearing from you is that in some respects, after
1: what we talked about with the National League, in some respects I think you and I would both agree on all six teams that are going to make the playoffs in the National League. I can't remember it being that clear cut, including the wild cards, where Braves, Mets. Phillies, Dodgers, Padres, and I think you and I would agree we'd both be shocked if the Cardinals don't win the National League Central.
3: Yeah, and again, Buster, this is a very dangerous territory where Tim and Buster talked on March the 19th that we knew who the six teams were going to be, and this is counterproductive in so many ways, but this is one of the first times that I can say I am confident in mid-March that these six teams are going to the playoffs, but I am. I'm not sure there's a seventh team in the National League that I see coming up and winning a division or winning a wild card. And it's not that different in the American League either, but it's certainly I got six teams, and unless something major happens, I'm not budgeting on those six. Are you co-signing after being out in Arizona
1: that the Cubs and the Angels might be two of the most improved teams in baseball?
3: Yeah, I saw them both, and again, the Cubs have, you know, they're really counting on Cody Bellinger making a comeback, and there's no guarantee of that. I was told his swing is still a tick off, and when you're a tick off in the big leagues, that's a big difference. They have to have Eric Hosmer be good. They have to have a few other guys really have a comeback season, but Dansby Swanson's going to help upgrade their pitching. They're not making the playoffs for me, but they're going to be – a better team, and they're on the way up. The Angels are different, Buster. I'm sorry. I told you a million times I get caught up in the optimism of spring training. I think it's just my nature. But I left the Angels thinking, if Trout can play 145 games, and so can Anthony Rendon, and I watched his BP the other day, and those hands are magical. If those two guys play 145 games, I think, the, I think the Angels can make the playoffs, and I didn't think that before I visited camp. Maybe it's typical me. I get caught up in the hype, but that's a pretty darn good offensive team uh, when all those guys are rested, healthy, and playing every day, and there's no restrictions right now on Rendon. Man, if he has a great year, I think that team can make the playoffs, and I yeah. didn't think that three weeks ago.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, when we did an Angels preview, I should have mentioned, uh, been more prominent about Rendon because he really is sort of a, uh, if he's right in, and uh, can play 130 games, how different will that team look? Especially when it looks like Shohei Otani is the best player we've seen in our lifetime. <laughs> just, yeah, it,
3: he it, looks, it's it's clear how right. good he is. And I just, I can, I can come up with a scenario where the Angels can make the playoffs. And I didn't have that a month ago. All right, here's a Bleacher tweet before you go. Scott, it's at Scott
1: M. Gower, says, I know it's been said uh, to take spring training stats with a grain of salt, but what do we take from stellar WC performances? Basically what I mean is, should I be encouraged by Yohan Makata's WBC stats? Tim, take a shot. Uh,
3: Yeah, I put much more... Credence in the WBC stats because those guys are playing to win on every single pitch. Okay, that's not the case in exhibition games, nor should it be. The goal of an exhibition game and an exhibition season is to get people ready, not to show your best stuff or to hit 400 like Jared Kelnick's doing. By the way, how good has that guy been in spring training? That is not a mirage buster. I saw him. I saw him play twice. He hit about six line drives in back-to-back games. Very impressive, everything going up the middle. So, yes, I would be encouraged by any numbers that you see in the WBC because that is a serious competition, and I think those guys are going to be even more ready than they're Teammates who didn't go to the WBC when they go back to start playing exhibition games to start uh, to get to the regular season.
1: So that's interesting about Jared Kelnick, uh, because I got to tell you, like he to me would be the classic example of a guy who would dominate spring training where you might see more fastballs and then you get into the regular season. You see a lot more breaking balls. I know you well enough to know you probably dug into some of that question.
3: Yeah, I did. And he's changed his swing. They worked with him. You know, he has a very flat swing. They've got a little bit more lift to it, not to necessarily hit home runs, but to make him more uh, and to make him a better hitter. Plus, he seems to be past the, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm one for, you know, for my last 15. That stuff gets in his head. And I was also told, Buster and you can appreciate this now, he rolled over on a, on a, you know, ball inside the other day and hit a ground ball between the second baseman and the first baseman and got a hit. And he ran to first base like this. Oh my God, that's an out. Every time last year, Max Muncie, I was told with the Dodgers, this was a week ago, has five hits this spring that were clearly outs last year. And that's what we're hoping for is that guys are running to first base, saying, "Hey, I got a hit. I didn't get that last year." And they go home saying, "I got two knocks today. I'm going back to the park tomorrow to get two more." That's what the change in the shift, I think, has done. And I don't think we can underestimate that.
1: Bonus question before I go. Sorry, I lied because uh, you, you, uh, you know, when you mentioned the rule change and the defensive shifts, you, you, uh, you know, I think reinvigorated this thought, these conversations that I had over the weekend. The concern that I'm hearing about the pitch clock, the the biggest concerns I'm hearing about the pitch clock in the last week is the varying enforcement from umpire to umpire. And I'm hearing that a lot, where there's a growing feeling that, uh, you know, umpire A, Tim Kirkjian, will absolutely enforce the pitch clock down to the second when the buzzer hits his wrist. And then there's another umpire who would say, "Eh, it's okay, he was close enough.
3: Yeah, that that's going to be a problem, Buster. Look, the the pitch clock has been a, a real success so far. I'm not sure there's any way around that. But we still haven't played a game that really matters yet. And the umpires yeah. who have been <laughs> – it's a really hard job anyway, and now they have to do way more with their job. They're going to have to be the policemen here. And you're right, that rookie umpire – and remember, there are ten of them, Buster, this year – Seven crew chiefs retired, 10 veteran umpires retired. And maybe those young guys come up and say, I've worked with this in the minor leagues. I'm pressing that button at zero. That's it. Whereas the veteran major league umpire might use a little bit more discretion and say, well, that ball went off his foot. I'm going to give him an extra three seconds. Sure. That's going to be a problem. This is this is going to be a problem when the season begins. But it is worth a try because every, almost every person I've talked to now thinks they think this is worth a try during the regular season. Let's hope it works. I'm not positive, but I like where it's gone so far. Tim, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. Okay, Buster. See you soon.
0: <laughs>
1: Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates went 62-100 and last season and finished in fourth place in one of baseball's worst divisions. Given Brian Reynolds' trade request made during the winter, it's likely that the most discussed topic of the upcoming season will be whether Pittsburgh will deal its center fielder. Newcomers. The Pirates signed 43-year-old Rich Hill, friend of the podcast and baseball's oldest player, to augment their rotation. Pittsburgh also added veteran catcher Austin Hedges and first baseman Carlos Santana. But the big winter move was the signing of Andrew McCutcheon, who won the MVP award for the Pirates a decade ago. This would be a nice bookend to McCutcheon's career breakout star. O'Neill Cruz is set to begin his first full season in the big leagues with work to do. He can hit for power, he can run, and he might have the best arm of any shortstop in the big leagues, but his on-base percentage last year was 294. In 87 games, Cruz had 126 strikeouts and 28 walks. Cruz is 24 years old, and if he can just be a little bit more patient at the plate, he could realize the extraordinary potential that evaluators have seen in him. The X Factor. Reynolds has rejected the Pirates' overtures to sign a big deal. You could blame him after the big money that was thrown around during the most recent winter. But it will be crucial for him, and for Pittsburgh for that matter, that he gets off to a strong start to enhance his marketability. After June 9th of last season, Reynolds' slash line was 287-369-503.
0: The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection.
1: The expectations are for the Pirates to take a big jump. Dakota projects 72.2 wins. Hembo says 71. Sarah Langs and I agree 70.
0: Bleacher Tweets already buster bleacher tweets for a monday amy chapman is up first she writes and you mentioned reggie bars last week and at a spring at a met spring training game in houston on saturday they handed out reggie bars and then jackson threw out the first pitch she attached a picture of the reggie bar and asks what would a buster taylor sarah bar be like buster we saw that real camp drew weighed in on this um bad producing here i don't have it right in front of my eyeballs but i, I do i've got it can i've you, got it, read it? I'll read it this is the the yeah. tweet from uh, drew
1: campbell in response to that he said because buster mostly does the bulk of speaking i'd say buster is the nougat or gooey center of the candy sarah would be the chocolatey or sweet part of the candy that would be sarah abbott by the way and taylor would definitely be the salty part what say you guys <laughs> i think that's accurate sarah
2: I think he nailed it. I'm just flattered he called me the sweet part. So thank you so much, Real <laughs> Camp Drew. Oh, come on, Sarah. Really?
0: Like, it would be anything else, you know? You oh, yeah. my goodness. Sarah off mic is vicious. You got to be careful. Yeah, I
2: can be I can be like a sour patch kid, you know? First they're sour, then they're sweet. So, like, I have We those... have
1: never seen the sour part of you on this podcast. Let me just get that on the record. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You and Sarah Langs are the same. Like, every day, you're super happy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, you know, I always like to do, if I like if I was a dog, I'd be a border collie and you guys would definitely be labs like happy labs like <laughs> Quinny here. Right. You and Quinny are the same.
2: That is the biggest compliment I've ever received.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit is up next. He writes in the outrage by the WBC injury surprise me. I guess games are, or I understand games are more high leverage and not for the teams paying them, but the excitement and growth of the WBC produces globally has to outweigh the small injury risk.
1: Yeah. So I'll let you guys, you know, weigh in. I, I've made my feelings known about this. You agree with what Tim and I were saying, like hit Tim with the basketball, like it stinks. You know, when, when you have a player, you can understand the team perspective and you could understand why uh, when a player comes to them, hey, I'm thinking about doing the WBC, that the team wouldn't greet that with the total enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, of course. I, I just think the, you know, like everyone keeps saying, the growth, the excitement, um, it just makes the sport healthier overall to have this yes. event and and have it be something that the players are into, that the fans are into. So I, I just I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, obviously the, the teams are, you know, gonna be bummed if their players get hurt, but I mean, overall, it's whatever. I mean, this this has been awesome and it's indisputable. Yep. Yeah,
2: I agree. I agree. And I think, too, like we kind of talked about earlier, the players are excited about it. And if the players want to do it, then let them represent their country and bring more fans to the sport.
0: Let's go to uh, Michael Mahone at Eater of Cheeses. He writes in with all the people complaining about how players should not compete in the World Baseball Classic due to injury concerns. Why do we never hear complaints about players playing in winter leagues? In fact, players are often lauded for the dedication. Great point, Michael.
1: Well, I would say this, that there are players who want to play in the WB, excuse me, in the Winter Leagues, and the team say, no, you're not allowed. Like, they will restrict that, or they'll limit the time, and they'll also want them to do it early in the Winter League schedule because they want to have them, if they do suffer an injury, uh, they want time for the player to heal. Like, if Altuve was playing in a Winter League in Venezuela, and he got hit, and and the Astros said, look, you can play, but only in November, he would have time to heal a broken thumb. And I think that's a major difference.
0: Trevor Dunning at Montana Met writes in: Could you explain some of the financial issues surrounding the Diaz injury? Is there insurance for Major League Baseball contracts for players in the WBC? Do the Mets have to pay Diaz this year? Does Diaz's contract count toward payroll this year? And you answered this on Twitter, but it would be worth repeating on here.
1: Yes, there is event insurance that covers at least some of Diaz's deal, and I, you know, I haven't tracked down the specifics. Is it, it typically is about seventy percent? Um, you know, so yes, insurance covers some of Diaz's contract. Uh, The Mets still have to pay Diaz, not the WBC, with the team recouping at at least some of that money through insurance, as I mentioned. And this is the part, if you're the Mets, it's annoying. Uh, His salary does count within the luxury tax system. (laughs) So I saw a report the other day say the Mets payroll has been reduced from 360 to 340. That's not true. For luxury tax purposes, they still get hit with a luxury tax bill. They're responsible for his contract.
0: Ouch. John Tollender writes in, uh, there might be something obvious I can't think of here, but why is the WBC played in March instead of November after the season ends?
1: Yeah, there's no perfect time for this. If you do it in November, what that would mean is that the players, you know, all the players whose teams are eliminated at the end of the regular season, they would have to continue to train, You know, throughout Mm -hmm. October, they wouldn't have the downtime. Um, And then you'd have potentially players going right from the World Series to the WBC. That would make everybody kind of crazy. The teams, Um, you know, there's been talk about maybe, and this to me would be the best solution to play the finals of the WBC, the All-Star Week. But you also, you'd have to get 30 owners to agree to basically write off one July weekend of selling tickets. And I just don't think, think teams will ever do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've talked about that before. Uh, T Alexander at SDSU2. This is a tweet, Buster. I think you saw as you. Uh, yes, you, I did. You you um, alluded to it when you were talking to Tim. He writes "And Buster, please stop saying the Dodgers won 107 games. It was 111, 111 get it right. All right. I got bopped on the nose. I fully accept that. <laughs> Jeremiah Avis Roos writes in, Hey, Buster, I'd love to hear about opening day traditions from you and other listeners. I do a stanza day countdown of Casey at the bat on Facebook. And then we do an OD opening day Eve with my daughters who are five and two. We do opening day presents in the morning. and I buy Chicago dogs as well. That's a, that's a very elaborate tradition there, Jeremiah. Yeah.
1: So we need to, I, I think we're going to put our thinking caps on here and come up with a tradition for the podcast. Ooh. You know, we've got the, the, the season ending tradition of Bart Giamatti, you know, mm-hmm. the reading yeah. that he does. Mm-hmm. We've, we've done that. So let's come up with something early. It feels like it should be something from Sarah Langs, by the way. Oh, I like it. I like it. You know, it. maybe us- she does some sort of reading, yeah, uh, or something. That would be. I great. think that would be cool.
0: Yeah, we'll. But see. don't tell Sarah that we said that. No, absolutely not. We'll we'll have it be a surprise to her. Uh, we got slate up next slate writes in what's more likely to happen this year. Joe Adele's talent finally clicks and he plays like the all-star that the angels thought he would be, or his output remains the same and the angels move on from him and look to trade him. But my biggest issue with slate is he tagged Josh Macri in this, uh, this tweet and slates written in a bunch. I'm a little offended. I thought we were closer than that slate.
1: Yeah. Josh Macri, who was the producer of this podcast before Taylor came on board. And I've always sensed there's a little competition between you and Josh.
0: No, Josh is a great guy. No competition at all. He, he paved, uh, you know, he blazed the trail for me to, uh, you know, pick up on the podcast and do a great job. So nothing but respect there.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, it is a pivot year for, for Joe Adele. He's got to show more than what he's shown.
0: Last one for today, Bleacher Tweeters bringing the heat. Teddy Wilson at Report by Wilson writes in the Astros roster has featured several native Spanish speakers and players like Alex Bregman have learned Spanish to better communicate with their teammates. How common is this among players and what kind of impact does it have in the clubhouse?
1: It's not very common at all. I give Alex Bregman a ton of credit. Other players have done it. I have you know managers who understand Spanish have done it. And I got to say, like, my time covering baseball, the refrain that I hear, and I'm just, like, covering my eyes when when I hear it, players will go, uh, you know, older white players, you know, 30, 31, they'll be like, hey, how come Jose doesn't know English yet? (laughs) And you're like, dude, how come you don't know Spanish? You know, and I say that as someone who got a D plus in Spanish, which is why, you know, like, I had that conversation with Rafael Devers this spring. Where he was speaking to me in English, and I was like, Man, that. And I told him, I was like, I'm so impressed. People who can master language. Stinking Juan Soto, Sarah Lang's favorite player. In two years, learn English well enough to do interviews on national television. How
0: impressive is that? Very, very impressive. Do do better, everyone. We, we got to learning a new language. It really expands your brain. Honestly, I speak a little Spanish, so I, I can speak from experience there. But,
1: yeah, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll have Sarah Langs do like a opening day mantra in Spanish this
0: year. <laughs> oh, she's going to love that when she hears the podcast. Hashtag Bleacher yeah. Tweets on Twitter. We'll be back Wednesday and Friday this week.
1: That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.